Greetings and welcome to the 88th episode, season two of the Chief Yuya podcast. And uh, of course, we're continuing our talks along the path of Jezebel, you know, as we've been doing. And uh, so far, so good. And I, I say good, I know that some of the information may not feel so good, but I say so far, so good, because it seems that people are really um, growing. You know, we're planting some some amazing mental seeds that are helping people to sort of study themselves, study the folks around them, and just become more enlightened, you know, in regards to maybe personalities and energies that they've cast off from their own body and cast off from their own mind, you know, unconsciously and not knowing that, hey, I was putting this out into the world. I was being this person i was being this spirit of being controlled and possessed by this spirit but now i have uh the empowerment of information to sort of uh create new encounters to invest in new causes in my life so um this has been a uh, a beautiful experience so far and um what we're going to cover in this session is no different you know in terms of the beauty we're going to get further into the, the solipsistic mind and how that connects itself to the Jezebel mind. And, you know, the reason, again, I'm going through these things is because um, sometimes, especially if you're speaking to dogmatic people, there may be certain things that are happening and they just put these sort of religious titles on them. You know, oh, that's a demon. That's a devil. That's a Jezebel. You know, and it's like, okay, we got that part, but can we break it down a little bit more? So, I can see it when it's coming or if we have more relative terms related to those sort of experiences or those sort of energies, then when I hear those terms or I see the behavior that associated with those terms, you know, my antennas can sort of go up and I can, you know, maybe um, prepare myself properly and intelligently. All right. So that is uh, something that I think has been beautiful and we're going to keep that going throughout the series. But nonetheless, let's get to our quote, and then I'm going to share our movie with us, with, with you, right? Um, so, willfully, you've been kind of seeing a, a theme with the quotes. I don't know if you have, but, you know, but this, this one is no different. So, first, be free from desire. Second, be satisfied. Third, be tranquil. Fourth, be diligent. Fifth, remember the teachings. Sixth, meditate. Seventh, practice wisdom. Eight, avoid pointless talk. All right. That is your quote for this 88th uh, podcast episode, season two, Chief Yuya podcast. Now let's dig into um, our movie. And willfully again, you'll see that all of these things are sort of strung together. There's a, there's a relationship. And if you don't see it now, don't worry about it. If you don't see it now, I promise you, you will see it. Okay, so the movie that we're going to be checking out for this podcast um, episode is a movie by the name of Zen, Zen, Z-E-N, and uh, it's a movie that came out back in uh, 2009, so it's got a little, you know, it's got a little, got a little age on it, but um, it's a really good one. I mean, I think all of them are good, obviously, I say that about everyone, but. With Zen, it's uh, it's about a young man who goes through um, a grieving process. He, his mother dies, and uh, he chooses to live as a monk as a as a result. And that's kind of how things start off. And he's going through this, this process of understanding things about life and death, and and um, trying to just find answers within Buddhism that would satisfy questions that he may have and what's what's interesting about this movie is that it, it creates you know philosophically 
it creates a nice sort of um, intersection between Sufism and, and Buddhism for you to understand. You know, it's it's very well made in that sense. And there's um, certain attitudes, thoughts that come forward that we all tend to tend to face at times where um, this person, you know, by the age at 17, he's ordained as a monk. And he's on this this quest for spiritual truth, and um, he has this sort of question, and you know where he's he's living in Buddhism in the Far East, and, and in particular, this you know in Japan. And at some point, those kind of teachings become clouded, and there's a there's a struggle with politics and things like that, which you find, of course, um, in the last film that we did, which was Kundun, you know, um, and. Master Dogman, this was a, a a real person, you know, who lived. So this is based on, you know, the life of, of Master Dogen. And um, you know, his his studies of, of really understanding the Dharma. And um Zen is, Zen is, is cool because it's it's just a really elegant sort of film and it just kind of shows that thirteenth century monk life in a very sort of elegant way. And, um, you know, the, uh, the main actor is, uh, Nakamura, uh, Kantaro. And, um, you know, like I said, he's orphaned as a child. And when he reaches enlightenment, he returns to Kyoto and he starts to spread teachings, you know, and most importantly, he spreads his teachings in the value of silence. You know, so for those of you who, you know, who may struggle with the noise, the chattering, the constant talking and kind of get into a place where you can you can appreciate more peace and, and, and more silent meditation and that aspect of the spiritual journey, uh, this would be a very interesting movie for you. You know, the um, cinemagraphic work is is really nice on the, this one it's similar to like um um you know spring spring winter fall summer spring or spring summer winter fall spring you know um i probably said all those wrong <laughs> but you know what i'm talking about but the uh you know definitely the camera work is is really nice the way they depict the landscape um is really nice and you know even um him coming to that process of enlightenment and teaching his followers and, and things like that, you know. So from the, the Sufiist aspect, you know, there's, there's like this two spiritual currents at the same time. Like I said, you have Sufism and you have Zen Buddhism. And there's that, that acknowledgement. Both of them are, are passed down through an unbroken chain from master to a to apprentice or master to student, if you will. And, um, obedience to to the master is a must on the path you know so there's so much in the film that you will get i promise you this would be one of the ones that will probably have a profound effect on your communications for the next seven days you know um after watching it you know and you and for those of you who are familiar with sufi teachings you'll see certain things that are that look familiar you know um like the al hai the muhuyi muit mumit, you know, um, you know, the giver of death, the ever living, um, and just the, you know, three different names of reality, as we say. So anyway, that is our film, and of course, for all of you, our new folks, we will be uh, watching it this seventh day, this Sabbath. We'll be watching it together. We'll be able to explore this mystical reality of Zen together as a group. Right, so uh, let's, let's hold hands and, and watch it together. And of course, you know we we always start our movies at five thirty-five Eastern, five thirty-five PM Eastern. So if you know if you want to watch it, you can watch it in solidarity from where you're at, you know, as well, or you could just join our community. Either one, but um, yeah, that's our movie. Zen, you'll enjoy. It. All right, so here we are back with it. Uh, I know in our last session, you know, we kind of 
we were following up or, you know, with just building on the emotional nature of the solipsistic individual. And primarily, of course, we're speaking about the solipsistic female. And uh, I said, you know, we went over time and I still said, man, there's so much more I could go in on on this particular subject. So I'm just going to kind of continue forward uh, with some of the thoughts I was sharing and we'll go from there. So one of the things, if you remember, just to kind of um, uh, to try to, to to review a little bit, you know, we spoke about that that sense of um, romance or that spirit of romance being utilized as a way to generate uh, certain emotions for an individual who is, you know, solipsistic to kind of get them out of that space of where they see the mundanity of their, their life kind of sucking out um, the possibilities of them ever being able to pursue emotional intensity, you know? So we had kind of spoke about that a bit and, you know, some of the things that a, that a person may go through in order to still keep that, that feeling alive, you know, to keep the, to keep that old thing back and keep it going, you know, and it doesn't really matter the age or like I said, someone could be a mother that five, six children be, married for 30 years or be 80 years old, whatever it is, there's still often that, um, that desire there, uh, to still have what they would see to be the, um, emotional and psychological benefit of being able to go through those different emotions. And, you know, um, it's something that's constantly, uh, struggled for and fought for. And, you know, that's very different than maybe how a man imagines things or more importantly, a rational man, right? You know, so like with the man, often one of the big differences is, you know, we spoke about the relationship between the external world and, and the internal world, right? As, as far as it relates to a rational man and a solipsistic female. And, and again, reiterating once again, you can have solipsistic males and you can have irrational males as well. You know, that's that's part of the sickness that we're, you know, dealing with in, in today's times very often. But um that that sort of spirit when you're dealing with the rational man, he's seeking for understanding out in the world. You know, so that everything that exists outside of him becomes a, a quest for him to understand life, you know, what what does this all mean, right? And when you're dealing with the solipsistic or Jezebel minded female her quest and her journey, it, it's all within the emotional space of her, her internal world. So even when she's going internally, she's not even going into her thought process or, you know, even her spiritual cognition. It's just, how do I feel? How do I feel inside? And, and the whole journey lies in, inside of that, that space because she's not really interested in the qualities of the abstract world. That's not something that particularly fascinates her. Um, as much as she's perplexed and interested by her internal emotions and her internal world. So whereas a man, his fascination is in the external world and how the external world functions and how he can manipulate the external world, uh, a woman's fascination and where she has her most feelings for, you know, in interrogative study or interrogative research, it's in her internal world and how that functions and how she can utilize the external world to manipulate her well-being. You see? So whereas the man goes out, he looks for answers in the external world and how to manipulate that. She goes inward and looks for more feelings and how to get the external world to manipulate her feelings. And that's where she gets her well-being. Oh, it's nice outside. I'm going to go outside or... I want to live in a place like this. I want you to make me feel like this or do this for me, do that for me. You know, it's, it's always how it, it, it still focuses itself inside. And so you have men or rational men again, who are more knowledge focused. You see they they're focused on knowledge. They're focused, focused on, and they're fascinated and they want to pursue the, the external aspects of knowledge. Whereas you have women who are more self-knowledge focused. They want to know about themselves, right? And and again, we're dealing with, to reiterate, and I feel like I need to do this periodically because sometimes I know 
it's a lot to take in, right? And you may hear a word like every other word, you know, so that's why you say, why does he keep repeating this could be male or female? Because I know how people listen. So with that sort of sense of um, how one defines themselves and where their curiosity lies, it, it creates really an understand, or at least it establishes an understanding of, you know, how different we can be from each other, from, you know, rational male, rational man to a solipsistic female, you know, and like I said, men become very curious about the abstract. They, they become very curious about how different parts and come together and, and different ways of thinking come together. Whereas the solipsistic female, the Jezebel minded female, she's very curious about sentiment and the sentiment of herself <laughs> and this, the uh, emotional fluidity of herself. So, the rational man, he defines himself in relation to the things that he observes and, and the conclusion that he makes about the things he deserves. Those, I mean, the things that he observes that helps to define him. Whereas a solipsistic Jezebel minded female, she defines herself in relation to how those observations make her feel. And that becomes her, her, her defining point of herself. I observed this. I looked at this or I had this kind of experience. It made me feel like this, so therefore I'm this kind of person. You see, whereas the rational man will say, I'm observing things outside, I have conclusions about them, and I'm looking at the way my relationship to them, whether it be businesses, it could be nature, it could be humor, it could be religion, you know, I'm looking at those things and how where I fit into them and how I relate to them, and that that lets me know that gives me my definition of where I am, not how they make me feel. So you have this Jezebel minded solipsistic female who is constantly preoccupied with her emotions. And she's constantly preoccupied with um, the emotions that's in response to external stimuli, you see, and this kind of, it inhibits any level of true analysis on the outside world. That's why you can never really trust the, the diagnosis or the analysis or the advisement or the opinions or anything, you know, from a solipsistic Jezebel minded female, just ignore it. Any, she doesn't have anything of, of any great value to say because everything that she perceives about the outside world is based on how she feels about it. You know, so when you're clouding an analysis with emotion, then you can't really see what's going on because your emotions color everything that you're seeing. You know, you can't really make a true objective analysis that can be shared with another person and actually be of any real value because it's it's solipsistic in nature and that it's just totally colored with you, you know. So what will happen is that... um like I said, it blocks the ability to for any external fo uh, analysis, and it just really focuses everything internally. And you'll have the Jezebel-minded female who she'll communicate how she felt, how she feels about something from memory. And then when she talks about the memory of how she felt or what she went through, then that will stimulate and elicit more feelings. And then there'll be like the disseminations of I this and then I was scared and this you know in in each one she goes through um she she believes even more and more that what she's feeling defines her as she feels them <laughs> you know so it's like her definition of herself is unfolding through the record the, the recollection of her emotions and then her and her feelings so there's like this cycle this never-ending cycle of feelings eliciting more feelings, right? And then um, these are what the solipsistic or the Jezebel-minded female, she uses these to factor into her overall view of herself. You see, her, her overall view of herself is based on the history of her feelings. And the history of her feelings creates a new feeling 
And then she it, she just goes around in this circle of I felt like this and that makes me you know it's like when you go to therapy that you'll tell your story and they say well how did that make you feel? And then as they're tell as you're telling them how it made you feel, it's bringing up more feelings. And you're thinking you're making some progress because all these <laughs> all these feelings are coming up, but you don't you may not realize you're just going around in a circle. And then you'll define yourself by how you felt about a memory. That's who I am. And I, and I, I kind of pause on that and I stress it a little bit because we live in a time now where feelings have, um, dominated even science and biology. I feel this way or I've always felt this way or when I think back to this time, this is how I felt or this external thing happened. Somebody called me this name or someone mishandled me in this way or abused me in this way. And as a result, now I feel this way about myself. So therefore I am that thing that I feel. You see, that's a solipsistic mindset. And I think, um, you know, when you just look at the state, the current state of affairs, it's a, it's a very relevant topic to sort of explore because, um, again, that's when you start getting into consent culture. So you can't tell someone how to feel. People love to blast that at it. You can't tell me how to feel. <laughs> yeah, yes, you can. Sure, you can. Now, telling someone it's like telling someone how to think. I can tell you how to think. Now, what to think? Go ahead, go. You know, you figure out what you want to think about. But I can show you a pathway to get to it, so that your understanding is more clear, and and more rational, and more usable. Right. So why would feelings be any different? I wouldn't tell a person what to feel, but I could tell them how to feel. Okay. Well, let's, let's explore the best way to get to get to the feelings that are most helpful for where we want to be. So we can understand our feelings. Right. But if you're just invoking feelings in any old kind of slapdash way, if you will, um, you can't really rely on what it is that you're feeling. It could be completely, completely invalid. I know that's not a term we use in today's society. Like, we could say a thought can be invalid, but feelings can't. Isn't that deep? If someone says, I feel a certain way, and then another person comes with logic thought and says, okay, well, let's let's take a look at that. Let's break down that feeling. That person is allowed to say, I, I feel unsafe. I don't feel safe around you <laughs> because you didn't validate my feelings. Well, you didn't validate my thoughts. <laughs> and I and I can promise you, you're probably a lot less tolerant for my thoughts than I am for your feelings. Because if I'm willing to listen to them and and understand them and break them down, there's tolerance. But if you don't even want to hear my thought or even have that process, then you do, you're the one who has no tolerance. But for a Jezebel spirit, we shouldn't have any tolerance anyway. Just get rid of them. Once you see that solipsistic energy there, just get rid of it. Just don't 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 try to figure it out. But, you know, like I said, there's this continuous sort of um, uh, circling of feelings, creating more feelings. And um, then those factor into how she sees herself. And there's only when there's a conclusion of, of um, or a conclusion that's been rationalized to be emotionally or emotively acceptable does she then find relief? You see, it still has to be a, an emotion that makes her say, okay, all right, I feel better. You know, and when it comes that way, it's never, ever, ever the truth. If any of you are writing notes, underline what I just said. It's never the truth, but it's her rationalized, chosen truth. But it's never the truth. If she's going through this emotional tailspin and then she, she uses her own emotions to rationalize where she wants to be or where she needs to be. And then she's like, Oh, you know, that, that, that relieves her suffering for the moment. Whatever she rationalized is not true. I promise you it's not true. You see? So a truth that reconciles itself, you know, or, or rec reconciles a negative, with a positive emotion that's used to bring about some level of balance 
is always completely unconcerned with the abstraction of objectivity. You know, so when you have a negative emotion, let's say, um, I don't know, man, you're feeling, um, you just, let's say you're feeling down because things in your life haven't been working for you, right? And someone comes along and says, oh, don't feel like that. Come on, let's put some music on. Let's dance. Let's go get some ice cream. Let's go to the park. Let's throw a Frisbee and let's just go feel good. And yeah, those, those are tactics that can work. Or, you know, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you face the truth yet. You just took a negative emotion and you confronted it with a positive emotion to bring relief to your life. But you weren't even concerned about the truth at any point. You see, or you get this one a lot. Someone will go through a breakup. They feel bad, especially a solipsistic female. Do her friends, if she has any. Do they ever bring the truth? No, they never bring the truth. Ever, ever. You don't ever tell a solipsistic female the truth. What's the first thing they say? We know the script. We know it. Listen, it's his loss. He's a jerk. You don't even know him. You don't even know what happened. He's a jerk. <laughs> now, this is the answer for if she if she likes a guy and he doesn't like her. Or if he likes a guy and she, he's currently with somebody else. Or if they go on a date and he's not interested and he doesn't contact her anymore. Or if they're, they're together and they break up. Whatever it is that she feels negative about, he's a jerk. First, you're beautiful. Second, you're intelligent. Third, you're, you're educated. Fourth, any man would kill to be with you. You could have any man you want. Why would you want to be with this jerk? That's the narrative, right? Now, like I said, the usage of positive emotions to try to counterbalance negative emotions is never concerned with abstraction. It's never concerned with objectivity, ever. It's never objective. You see, so therefore... It's never the truth. He's a jerk. How do you know she wasn't a jerk in the situation? You're beautiful. Maybe she's not beautiful. Everybody's not beautiful. If everyone was beautiful, you wouldn't know who's beautiful. Some people are unattractive. Oh, how could you say that? There's somebody for everybody. Okay, well, let me pick someone who I consider to be unattractive, and let me ask you if you want to change faces and bodies with them. You see, come on. Let's, we, we have to be reasonable about this. Oh, you're educated. You're smart. So what? What does that have to do with your with your ability to cook, <laughs> your ability to be pleasant, to have a nice conversation, your humor, you know, the way you you beautify an environment, you know, the way you smell, the way you sex. That's nothing to do with anything. Any man would kill to be with you. That's not true. Nobody's killing to be with anybody. Knock it off. You see. So it's never concerned <laughs> with the truth whatsoever. So you get. You, you, but, but the solipsistic female, she'll blame, like, let's say when she finally comes into the truth, the awareness, she comes into our new. She'll blame all the people who spoke to her like that in the past. You know, everybody told me I was just so great and no one ever told me the truth. No, you only wanted to hear that. Stop. Stop it. Stop trying to blame everybody else. It's you. You're the problem. They knew, they knew how to butter your bread. And you laid out and let it be buttered because that's how you buttered each other's bread. Every time you, either one of you did something stupid and a guy found you to be completely intolerable or you only showed your value to be or, an uh, uh, orgasm for him because you really didn't bring any other value. Instead of you sitting down with your girlfriends and saying, you know what, we need to get our stuff together. So let's let's build some value. Let's see what these men want, and if we really want them, let's shape ourselves in to be desirable. Nope, you didn't do that. You just placated each other with lies. You took your negative feelings and you threw a bunch of positive emotions in there. None of it was true, and then you kept on going because you hated each other. So with that level of, of solipsism of a woman, um, it's not just something that limits her experience in life. 
It's actually an addiction. She becomes addicted to that type of talk. That's why people who write books like that or pander to that, they do so well. Your your Derek Jacksons, your Umar Johnsons, your um Steve Harveys, you know, Tyler Perry's. I mean, we could just go on and on and on. The list is, is inexhaustible, you know, um, of these guys. And let's not talk about your preachers and your pastors and your imams and your ministers who just pander to the solipsistic, solipsistic female. So whatever she does or whatever she's going through, you still are a queen, even though you're a fiend. Doesn't matter. Because the truth does not matter. Objectivism does not matter. Objectivism and truth have no place here. You see? And she becomes addicted to that. And a rational man finds that addiction exhausting and arduous. If he's ever in the middle of that and and he has to play therapist to that type of female who is forever dissatisfied and all she wants to do is discover herself. She's addicted to self-discovery. And she and she waves that like it's a flag, it's a banner of something honorable. You see? See, the, the reality is when you have a solipsistic Jezebel-minded female talking about her feelings, she's just defining them as they're brought to the surface and expressed. <laughs> a lot of times you think she's saying something that's been well thought out and like, no, she's, you know, She's winging it. She's she's riffing. You know, she's freestyling. So as they're coming to the surface and she's talking about them, that's how she's defining herself. That's a very important thing. But that's how you can all you can spot a lot of times a Jezebel a mile away, the talking. See, you'll find that the solipsistic female, she needs to talk about how she feels all the time. Because her focus is always internal, but her process is external. Whereas with men, the focus is external, but their processing is internal. So they address their external problems from the place of their emotions without any, they, they, they never feel that maybe, well, you know what? Let me take this emotional filter off. You know, like with analog cameras, we used to use like, now you have filters. You can just go into your software and make a picture look however you want it to look. But back in the days, well, maybe not even so far back in the days, um, because people still use filters, but you would have a filter like a screen, a little a, a piece of glass that had a certain coloring or whatever on it, and you would screw that onto your camera lens, and that would be your filter. So whether it be, might be red or yellow or blue, or make things look darker or whatever, but these filters would change the 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 look, you know, when you used analog um, equipment and and digital too. They had filters too, but the thing is. When you're dealing with a solipsistic female, she never removes her emotional filter. It's always on, you see. So that's the core of a solipsistic woman is the fact that she has this emotional filter that never comes off. And she always addresses her external issues or problems from the position of her emotions without removing the filter. So when you're dealing with a rational man who's looking for sanity, his sanity exists in understanding the world, whereas a uh, uh, solipsistic female, her sanity exists in understanding herself. You know, and she'll use that against you. She'll say, well, shouldn't I know who I am? Shouldn't I understand myself? Are you telling me that's a bad thing? That's a bad thing now. <laughs> you know, she'll play that, that game with you. And you say, well, I guess it's not a bad thing, but, you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> See, because she can't understand herself, you know, or, 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 or let's say if she can't understand herself, she lives her life in distress. She's wrecked with pains of distress and misery, which only pushes her to seek even further into self-understanding and self-discovery. Whereas a man, he has the same kind of distress and misery that he'll feel if he if he's unable to understand the world rather than themselves. You see, that's a clear distinction there that you gotta pay attention to. Man can't who can't understand the world and how things work and you know, um it's it's like um 
Snoop said in nothing but a gangster party. Let me tell you about the, about life, about the way things is, you know. So it's like that's so important. You listen to a lot of music. People talk about their daddy sitting them down and telling them how the world is. Son, the world is like, the, you know, for men, that's extremely important. We got to understand how things work so we can exist in it and relate to it and survive in it. She needs to understand herself or she goes crazy. So the craziest, and, and, and the thing about it, which is so important, unlike the self, your surroundings can be replaced. So the self can be influenced. Even though you can't get away from it, it can be, it can be influenced. So a woman who can't escape herself, a solipsistic woman, is that way because she's always for herself. He's not for anything, any, any, anything else. You see. And so the most unstable Jezebel spirit that you'll ever come across is the one who has no way to process her emotions because her sanity is completely dependent on her ability to emote, her ability to send an expression out. Right. So despite the fact that she's always in her own head or, you know, really her own, we're saying head, but really she's in her own feelings all the time. She talks constantly. She's always running her mouth. That's your first sign. You should see that. You see, you meet a woman. She's like, you know, I talk all the time. Oh, you do really. And if you're a rational man, you know, just stay quiet because <laughs> she'll tell on herself if you just stay quiet. Those ones that got to talk all the time. Talk, 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 The more talking she does, the more solipsism you'll see. Now, I know now that I, I did this segment, there's some women who are listening and be like, wow, I'll just not talk as much. We can still hear you. <laughs> we can still hear you. We're smarter than you think we are. Men are much smarter than you think that we are. It's just that when we want to have sex, we, we pretend like we're not so smart. Right until we have sex. That's why orgasm is so freeing for a man. <sighs> right in that moment, he's like, I don't have to do this anymore. <laughs> as soon as as soon as he jacked, he's like, all right, I, gotta, I, gotta, I don't have to pretend anymore. I to, oh, whew, I'm free. Until his, his nature builds back up again. Then he becomes a slave to his own desires. Unless he's a man who has learned to control the, the bottom with the top. If he's controlled the if he's learned to control the body with the mind, then he has a free dome. He's, he has free dome and he's always free, whether he ejaculates or not. But if he's still a slave to his body and his emotions and his anger and his hurt and his histrionics, then yeah, he's going to always want to come. And when he does that, then he feels free right in that moment. Oh, I don't need this anymore. It's like someone who has an eating disorder and right when they eat, they feel free because I'm not hungry. Right now. But it comes back. So with her to process all of her emotions, she just talks and talks and talks. You know, whereas a man who's in his head, he he tends to focus outwardly in the sense that he processes, you know, he looks at, he focuses like he wants to see everything out and around him, but he processes all of those observations inwardly. While she will focus inwardly. She's looking inside, but she'll send all of her processes or her observations outside with all of this constant chatter. So in a quest to comprehend herself, she'll speak constantly. Kind of ironic, you know. And just... With with solipsism, there's this constant need for for emotional self discovery that every woman kind of considers her to be an expert on herself as a result. So she's prone to talk at great lengths about herself. Some of us have mothers, sisters, cousins, aunties like this. You get on the phone. As soon as you say greetings, hello, good night, good morning, whatever you say. She'll badger you for 10, 15 minutes about herself. And when she goes to catch her breath or drink some water or somebody interrupts her and she's saying, but how you doing? Like you really care. You've already set the stage and let me know. You don't care. I'm not even going to answer you. Don't even answer. 
Those are the ones that wake you up at 4 a.m. with a text with, I feel this, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling that. Why would you tell me at 4 a.m.? Why would you disrupt me with that? Then at, let's say, 6 a.m., you get another text. Yeah, I was just feeling scared. I was feeling this a little early. I was feeling happy about this, whatever. But how's everything going on with you? How are you doing? (laughs) Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. I know some of the women listening right now like, ah, that's why you don't answer me. Yeah, that's why I don't answer you because you have Jezebel in you. And in those moments, you make me sick and I don't don't want anything to do with you. It's in my nature rising. (laughs) I'm just joking. Ah, Somewhat. So um, that's the thing. You know, um, she's inclined. And what happens is that is this, that that inclined for always, you know, kind of speaking, 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 you know, and talking always about herself. Every time you tell, well, I'm the type of person like this. And what I've discovered about me and, you know, I find that I always and I like shut the F up, God. But don't tell her to shut that. Listen to her. Listen. Let her tell on herself. Just listen. Because especially when it comes to amorous like experiences. This is this is where the solipsistic female. gets played. This is where it happens because she loves to talk about herself so much. He's, she's, which is a product. This it's it's a product of of narcissism. Doesn't necessarily mean she's a narcissist. She may or may not be a narcissist, but it's a product of of narcissism. So when you have a man who seems to kind of understand and know a woman on an emotional level, without her having to say, like you know, without her having to say too much and express so much, she becomes enchanted. You see, she becomes enchanted because when a man can communicate on the level of a woman and he creates his presence, what he does is he's putting himself inside of her solipsistic universe. She loves that. He's in my world now. And then the first thing she'll say is he gets me, you know, like he just understands me. Like he just, why do you like him? He just gets me. You notice she never says, I like him because I get him. She doesn't want to come into your world. She she only exists within her own solipsistic world and universe. That's the only space that matters. That's it. So when you know how to jump into that world, anticipate things she's going to say, let her just ramble on about herself. Falls in love with you, quote unquote, for as much as she can. And and that may seem narcissistic, like I said, but she might not be narcissistic, but that quality will still be there. But it's a self-obsession and self-obsession is a byproduct of narcissism. Yes, it is a byproduct, but it's also a byproduct of solipsism. So it could it could be either one, be that self-obsession, you know, um, but it's intrinsic to a, sol- a solipsistic woman that self-obsession you can't move around it it's there it's going to be there so her most profound activities are always going to center around herself you know and going through her catalog of emotions she loves to meditate she loves it (laughs) she loves to smoke and just think back to her childhood she loves it because that's how she feels she is she shapes who she is you see and the, those who will sit and, and indulge in that hobby of self-obsession with her or that, that hobby of self-interest with her, those are the ones who she'll want to recreate with or pursue for recreation. But you, you know, fellas, you, you probably are courting the wrong thing. <laughs> You're courting something you don't want to really be courting, you know. So that emotional world is, is, is solipsistic within itself because it's it's so distinct from individual to individual. That's kind of the basis. You know, it's like a bunch of different worlds that are that are not connected. You see, each like diggable planets, that's you know, the, the old rap group, some of you may be familiar with. That was their whole concept. Like they, they had this concept that they felt everybody was a planet, a planet unto themselves. 
you know, so diggable planets were like, yeah, we're all different planets. That's like solipsism. It's this separate sort of abstraction from everything else. And, you know, um, in her mind, she believes that emotions are abstract. So for her, there's no distinction between emotions and the abstract world. They're the same thing. You know, so the abstract world is, is shared. That's what she doesn't understand. For you to understand abstraction, you have to understand connection. The abstract world is external, it's shared, and it's something, and it's a place that we all live in. That's why we can all go into a comedy club and laugh. We can all understand the abstract, you know, concepts of humor. It's always that salty female though, who's really dressed up, probably really pretty, bunch of lip gloss on, maybe even some glitter on her face. She's not laughing. She's not laughing until the comedian turns and begins to make jokes about her. She won't laugh, but now she's got the attention. So now she's got a story to tell. Oh, I was so embarrassed when he did that. He embarrassed me so much. Okay, here we go with the emotions again. She's lead singer of the emotions. Okay. So her her kind of mindset, like I said, there's no distinction between the emotion and the abstract. And her instinct is that her inner world her inner world, that is the abstract world that she's got to constantly process and constantly seek to understand by way of communicating externally. Whereas to men, the, in, the internal world that we live in, a rational man, it's solipsistic. So both men and women, they have this, we both have an inner emotional world. Don't, don't get me wrong. But as men, we have less interest in processing the nuances of our internal emotional world you know we, we'd rather live our lives mentally more in the abstract world you see. so I went over my time again with this one you know with this part you see like man how many parts to this there's a lot to it there's a lot to it man there's a lot you know it's it's like I said it's such a huge thing because um, we're currently being bombarded by this by this spirit by this concept, you know. So, um, yeah, we're gonna take a break. We'll be right back. All right. So, for all my longtime listeners and new listeners, some of you know the drill, some of you don't. For consultations, askosiris.com. A S K O S I R I S dot com. That is the way you get. To Bill with me, Chief Yuya, about the things that you may be working through, working on, trying to figure out. Right? Um, if you have any sort of questions about things that we're talking about in this in these segments and stuff like that, that are quick one-off questions, you can always send them to questions at chiefyuya.com. Questions at chiefyuya.com. All right. And if you need ongoing coaching, it's OsirisLife.com. That's where you sign up. O-S-I-R-I-S-L-I-F-E.com. If you go to ChiefYuya.com, which is my personal site, that's where you can subscribe to the podcast and, you know, always be in tune. And we have more blog posts that are coming up that are that explain and break down the podcast. You know, sometimes I know you may be listening when you're working out, things like that, and you may not take the best notes. So we are in the process right now of uploading um, different breakdowns of the podcast to give you a hand with that and maybe even to give you more insight as you're listening for books, Amazon, they're all on Amazon. All right. Um, with the exception of two, which you'll be able to find soon on the Chief Yuya website. But um, you can always also get the Anu Way. The Anu Way is kind of the, the guidebook and the handbook for the Anu Life Global Ministry for our community. You know, being a part of this experience, like I often tell you, everyone needs a pastor. So everyone needs a shepherd. And I don't mean your regular church pastor. I'm not talking about that because obviously I'm not a pastor in that sense. And Anu is not a church. Uh, we're not even a religious organization. Um, but we are a movement in a community of people who have decided 
that we care about something more than ourselves, you know, and we want to be our best and greatest selves in order to express that care in the most competent and the most efficient and in the most helpful way that we possibly can. You know, it's it's one thing to want to do for others and to help others. And it's one and it's another thing to build yourself up in a way so that you can do that and in the most fulfilling and the most satisfying way possible. So um, Anu is about that and so much more, obviously, you know, but when you read the Anu way, um, it will let you understand that a bit more. So you can always download that and you can always apply to join the ministry. You know, you go to anulifeglobal.org, anulifeglobal, A-N-U-L-I-F-E-G-L-O-B-A-L dot O-R-G. And be a part of this wonderful, bring your talents to the forefront. You got something that you're really good at that feel like the world has not really valued you for, but it's something that you're very passionate about. And let's see what we can do with it. You know, that's what it's about. Everyone bringing their character into the space and being respectful and mindful of the space and each and of each other and then building something with that going forward. All right. As long as there's sincerity and authenticity towards the goal and the purpose. All right. So uh, one last thing. We have our retreat coming up and we're looking for the summer retreat. We pushed it back to August now. So we're looking for August. Um, right now, we're looking at the last strong in August or the last weekend in August. It's usually about four days. Um, and those are the dates you're looking at. So if you're interested in that, make sure you sign up. And even if, you know, you don't have to pay immediately, but we do that. Um, so when we're renting spaces right now, this is the space that we're looking at. It looks like it accommodate everyone we need, but, um, we just like people to register early. So we know like, okay, we got this many people. We have this many people. So maybe we only need this kind of space. Maybe we just could, you know, use maybe a couple of cabins. Maybe we're going to use campsites and maybe we're going to use a combination of campsites. For me, I like to be outside. So no matter what we have, I don't care if we're, we're at the Hilton. I'm in the parking lot in the tent. You know, um, I'm an outside guy like that, but you know, you might be an inside guy or gal. So, uh, nonetheless, uh, please definitely sign up and let us know, you know, um, what your intentions are so we can possibly or, or properly measure the space that we need. All right. So with that, let's, uh, let's get back into it. All right. Cool. 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 Here we are. So, um, let's get into our book, right? Every session I give you a book that you may want to check out. And, you know, like I've said before, you may not be able to read each book every seven days. If you can, great. You know, maybe that might be a challenge you put for yourself, but, um, even if you can't, that's okay. Um, just have them, you know, you, Make them a part of your, your bucket list. You know, these are ones I want to come to. Or, you know, if the titles jump out at you. If they don't, then cool. It might be for someone else. But uh, this show's book is the the book entitled Finish What You Start, The Art of Following Through, Taking Action, Executing Self-Discipline. Um, it's written by Peter Hollins. And um, I like this book because it's simple. It's really simple. You know, like, Follow through and finishing things and getting beyond procrastination is a challenge that a lot of people have. And um, sometimes I find myself caught up in, you know, but procrastination, which not it's not usually procrastination. It's more I just may have uh, certain feelings about what it is that need to get done. And, and I don't want to confront those feelings, you know, um, so I'll, I'll self-sabotage or something like that. But um, this book is really good. Because it, it really helps to kind of simplify the way that we get things done. You know, like it gets into, you know, how we tend to overthink at times. And uh, we might set unrealistic ex expectations for ourselves in getting things done. Or sometimes we don't know ourselves well enough. We don't have enough self-awareness to really know what's going to happen. So the author breaks down, you know, like getting things done in four steps. Well, not four steps, but four components, we'll say. And that's action, persistence, self-discipline, and focus, you know, and it kind of goes into each one and, you know, getting to a place where you can sort of develop a mindset of following through a mindset of getting things done and the steps that you have to take, you know, in order to make sure that 
everything is fitting into a big picture, you know, and the discomfort sometimes that we seek to avoid and just understanding that that discomfort is part of your success. It, it just comes along with it. So he gets into that and different methods, you know, for following through in terms of like accountability, having accountability partners and, um, you know, breaking, of course, big things down into small things and, you know, evaluate, evaluating the risk of the risk of inaction. If I don't do this, if I, you know, there's inaction here, what will happen? You know, as opposed to always looking at if I do this, then this will happen, you know. So um, also even multitasking, which is very Zen, you know, getting away from that multitasking and learning to focus on one thing at a time. You know, um, so there's, there's a lot of components in there, but I, I found the book very helpful uh, when I first read it. I, I read it when it first came out, actually. And um, a lot of the techniques in it I still use today. In fact, for those of you who read it, you you might like, especially those who've been had consultation sessions by me or coaching. It makes some of it may sound familiar. You know, like if you had an issue with procrastination or self-discipline, you may find some of the some similar uh, concepts uh, within it, but it really does help to kind of jumpstart you towards getting things done in your life and, you know, how you actually create your task list, you know, and how you value um, the things that need to be done and put them in proper order, you know, things like that. It it really helps to kind of clarify if you, if you approach it, you know, from the right perspective, you know, but also, Taking care of your mental health is a part of it, you know, because if your mental health isn't isn't balanced and in order, you won't have the willpower and the discipline to actually focus on the skills that you need and the life lessons that you, you know, acquire along the way as you, you, you know, gain the knowledge and the information necessary to move outside of your comfort zone and to get things done that lead towards the success that you envision. All right. So. Again, and again, the book is Finish What You Start, uh, The Art of Following Through, Taking Action, Executing, and Self-Discipline by Peter Hollins, right? It's it's not a terribly long read either, you know, so that, that may be good. You know, it's um, it's very functional, you know, it's a very functional and, and uh, pragmatic sort of text. So it won't, it won't, it won't, it won't take you too long to get through it, you know, at all. I don't think it will. You know, um, but yeah, it, it you'll be able to ask yourself, am I acting out of laziness at times, you know, or is there something else that's blocking me from getting done? So that's it. That's the book for the strong. And I trust and will that you will enjoy it. All right. There's our music. There's our music. A giant steps, right? A giant steps. If you haven't checked it out, that's on Spotify. That's one of the, the songs that I did a while ago. And um, yes, the sound of the baby running around, <laughs> that is actually my child. <laughs> so um, a giant steps is the music you're hearing. But nonetheless, thank you for riding for as long as you did. If you made it to the end. And, um, you know, again, we're going to continue these talks around um, solipsism and the Jezebel spirit, the Ahab spirit, and how it can come to interrupt some of our best philosophical inquiry. You know, um, sometimes those spirits are always present. And when we are inquiring about aspects of ourselves or aspects of the universe, aspects of our creator, we always find these are our, our, like our meditations go into this place where it's just about um, we become preoccupied with ourself. You know, and we have to be vigilant about um, just diving into meditations for the pleasures, you know, of a subjective experience, you know, but we're really looking to see the broader, you know, more, more the broader universe, you know, and not just narrow down everything to our emotions, you know, and it's not to say that emotions and feelings don't have their their justifications at times because they do, you know, but um it's important just to understand that we can extrange we can estrange ourselves um, from some of the, the the greater lessons in the world and lessons in life because we recoil from the truth, you know. 
And um, that becomes like a breaking point in our our relationship with the divine. You know, with solipsism requires um, breaking with so many so many other serious meditations, and it causes us to to attach to the idea of the body, where the emotions are, and the materialism. And um, we go into this this really brave place, if you will, you know, where we just follow different symbols of nonsense, different idols of nonsense that exist within our own psyche. And um, the thinking that we would have, you know, where, where we'd be freeing and where we'd be able to breathe, you know, we, sh- we strangle ourselves out from that. So that has been the 88th episode of the Chief Yuya podcast season two. And uh, I will that you had a beautiful ride. You can always also follow me on social media at Chief Yuya. And, um, you know, for, for for stuff that comes up. <laughs> I just got to say stuff because, you know, I got so much stuff happening, you know, whether it be books or classes or retreats or um, lives or podcasts or, or healing music that I like to do and put out. And I have some other projects that are coming forth that are art based and not just music, you know, some other things I do too, you know, um, or the work that I do overseas, you know, just, um, Anu Life Global, um, Anu Life GM is the, uh, handle for Anu Life and Chief Yuya, the handle for this experience. All right. So, uh, I will that you have a beautiful day today. You have a strong day and, um, you continue to move with the level of external processing and internal processing and make sure that um, you're moving with authenticity. As I said in the last, I think it was midday affirmative, I was sharing that authenticity is making sure that your outsides match your insides. You see? So with that, be well, everyone. Peace. Yeah.